Don't worry, Jay. It's only your life. Are you trying to say Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? Where you go and meet about 90 feet. Where you go and meet about 90 feet. Ooh, funky podcast. It's because it's Mardi Gras time. Very true. Welcome, everyone. We are the Brackish Podcast. And we're going to get better about telling you where you can find us. Uh, first of all, we have an uh, Instagram page at the underscore Brackish underscore podcast. We have a Facebook page at the Brackish Podcast. Uh, we also have a Gmail if you'd like to send us any hate mail. That's uh, the Brackish Podcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Spotify, Google Play, Radio.com, and Apple Podcasts. We first want to say hello to our friends uh, that saw us on the route of the Rock and Roll New Orleans Marathon. We were the Chafe Station. We were the Chafe Station. It was anti-Chafe Station. Anti-Chafe. Excuse me. Yes, we had powder, baby powder. We had Vaseline, Vas for your ass, and then we had mimosas. Those went quick. Really I'm sorry quick. I missed any of that. No, it's fine. I mean, it was you a would, dry run for the Crescent City Classic. You wouldn't. I like that you use the word dry run for the Chafe yeah. stage. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. No pun intended. I think all puns intended. But we even made like probably one ounce mimosas, just like a little shot. Like for a people. shot? And it went so quick. We didn't realize how many people ran that marathon <laughs> and how many people wanted liquor within the last mile of the race. I think you <laughs> underestimate anyone who's running in New Orleans. We definitely did. We but totally we did not underestimate the chafe. They came. They were very happy. I bet people were excited. Certainly very happy. Uh, we didn't realize how many women would run it under their arms. Yeah, that, I didn't realize. That. I, you don't think about that, like running, you know. Well, women's running clothing fits so much more closely in the crotchal area than men's does. But you don't worry about the chafe there. Yeah. But you've got those cute sleeveless. Y'all, in New Orleans, winter is a mere suggestion. It's kind of a hallucination. It's here. It's not. Did it happen? I don't know. It was two days and it's gone. So as a woman running in January, you could be wearing thermal gear. You could be wearing just your cutest sports bra. That's how, I mean, most of them were. And really, the Vaseline was for, the wind was howling, so People use it for their lips. Mm. I didn't realize. I didn't. I was thinking I'm going. No one double dipped, smart. which was a great, you know, great part about everything. I thought someone would have double dipped. Yeah. But for like, sure. to, you know, to Vaseline, they were scooping Vaseline out. Like it was scooping Vaseline. And I've seen like they went in their, whoop, whoop. In, their in their areas. The first lady that we got at all was very heavy on the powder. Oh, yeah. In her crotch and in her butt area. Yeah. Pulled, Did not pulled, care. Pulled the pants back. Yeah. Because she was at the head of the pack. Lady worked up a cooch sweat. <laughs> like, that's the price you pay for winning the rock and roll marathon. For certainly, sure. Certainly. So uh, it was great. We had a good time. And we are going to be out there. I don't know the date of the Crescent City Classic. I know it's in April. I think it's the week before Easter. It's the Saturday before Easter yes. every year. Yes. There which you is go. 40 days after Mardi Gras. And we'll remind you at the end of the podcast what date that is. <laughs> <laughs> certainly, certainly. Uh, well, Knock and Cliff are in the booze crew. Week two in a row. Uh, hashtag part two. Because yes. we're here for part two of 
Cajunness. Yes, yes. Yeah. And the well effect, done. And the effect that this one guy had on what everybody thought of as being Louisiana and well, it Cajun. Was, it was the one guy, but it also went way, way back. The one guy we, we were talking about last week was Justin Wilson. Uh, and I want to start this week off by editing a couple of things I said. I fact checked myself and really what I did was I had to listen back to my own voice two or three times in a row and I realized that I was incredibly nervous about talking about this man Justin Wilson because he was someone that I ended up growing up with watching as I grew up so he was always this big iconic figure in my head and talking about him I wanted to make sure I did him justice without talking badly about him because he did kind of play up the caricature of a lot of Cajun culture, which we're going to talk about a lot today. But I found myself doing two things. One, I repeated myself a whole lot last week. So I'm apologize to the viewers no, for that. No, sometimes it needs to settle in. It's like, you know, what did that sip taste like? Let me try it again. Yes. Yeah, but it didn't need to be tried eight times in a row. <laughs> of course it The did. other thing I think I did was I maybe misrepresented what I knew about his childhood. I found that what I said made it sound like he grew up really wealthy. And I don't know that he grew up wealthy. I never saw that. A lot of what I read about him didn't come from him necessarily. It came from a lot of interviews or just editorial pieces on him. His parents were well-connected and well-connected in the bayous isn't the same as wealthy. So I felt like what I represented was wealth. While I should have just represented the fact that his dad was really influential in politics, it led to a minor career in politics for him. And his mama was very, very well known for not only her cooking, but her piano playing. Nice. I just didn't want people to say- Influential family. Yeah, you thought that they were big into tennis. Wilson tennis balls. I, I don't <laughs> recall that. Yeah. But I certainly could have said that. It's not out of the realm of me saying have. things like that. That's true. Yeah. It's, it's totally what happened as well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who are the Wilson family? They're we still pumping out freaking tennis balls. That's true. And volleyballs. Oh. And Tom Hanks. That's right. Out. Wilson. Yeah. Oh. I know. I screamed it like two minutes ago, but no one got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, though. That's okay. We'll edit that out. And then, yes. Either way, I told the story of this man's life so we could get to this point where we talk about his overall effect. Yeah. And what I have started to call a more recent kind of cultural reference is the Bobby Boucher effect, which those of you who don't know, Bobby Boucher is the lead character of a um, an Adam Sandler movie titled... Water boy. Classic. Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. Yes, he was a student at South Central Louisiana State University. A non-existent school, which was also actually filmed at ULL. True. Which is a real school. Mama say that happiness is from magic rays of sunshine that come down when you're feeling blue. <laughs> he drove his tractor to school as well. Hey, and by the way, I hope you like what I did to y'all lawnmower. Which is fantastic. Which is part of what we'll talk about today. Yeah. What made him great? Yeah. Justin uh, Wilson, he had to have driven his tractor somewhere. So before we start talking about it, I am interested to know what you guys know about Cajun culture. Because you definitely, you have a good friend you grew up with who is very, very Cajun. I feel like this friend of yours embodies a lot of the, like, 
positive or endearing sides of Cajun culture. He's got a really big personality. He likes to be really upfront with the ladies. He's kind of a party guy. He's the one to first do the silly thing. He's he's a big, big character and personality. He is. And what's endearing about him the most is that he would like do anything for his friends, his family, his people. But if you mess with those people, <laughs> right. don't mess with those people. Watch right. You're going to get like smacked. Uh, but the, the guy is one of a kind, really. Uh, but what's great about him is his dad is like this, his brother's like this. Uh, you know, you meet his mom. Hey, darling, you know, good to see you again. You know, how you been? Oh, so great to see you. But to that end, that guy, I feel, embodies a lot of what Cajun culture is. And I was just curious to know if that was what you thought of it, what your experience is it. Because a lot of people assume that Ca- that Louisiana is Cajun or Louisiana is Creole or that there's no difference between the two. And, and a lot of times talking to locals, they couldn't tell you the difference or they've got stereotypes. I was just interested in what you guys no, I, knew. See, I, I'm more of the... Um mainstream Cajun like I don't know anybody Cajun the I wish I could get my my older brother on here because he now lives in Cajun country went to ULL lives in New Iberia Parish and shrimp shrimp in town so no what I've been exposed to is just mainstream stuff so it's kind of neat Cool. I like learning. But you've lived in Louisiana. Right. Your whole life, right? Like, you know those guys we, like, we didn't hunt or fish, but we knew those guys that would just pick up and be like, oh, I'm going to go hunt in my backyard. They got some woods. I'm going to go. Yeah, I knew people who just grabbed a boat and freak, (laughs) yeah, went out, you know. On the bayou. Yeah, 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 we got Macomb Bayou right there. Sure. So we're, you know, we're not south, south in the bottom of the foot, but we still got bayous. We still got people I can't understand. We still got those nasty little grocery stores that been there forever. Got dust on the ramen noodles top. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's live bait in the Live back. bait. Ma- yes. <laughs> yes. I was going to say even a live bait machine outside. Ooh, a machine. Yeah. You never seen Ooh, a live bait? Fancy. Live bait vending machine? Wonderful. May what papa you put out of business to put the live bait machine in the back, huh? <laughs> mm. So. This is what we're talking about today is what people think about Cajuns in Louisiana, who they are, who they're not, and how this kind of silly Bobby Boucher, water boy caricature came to be. Remember when Bobby Boucher showed up at halftime and the mud dogs won the bourbon bowl, do you? If we're going to talk about Cajuns. Well, this well, yeah. this no, is no, the no, best go, go, part go. is is that's because of those movies, that's what anyone who's not from around here thinks we are. How is that the best? I mean, it's nuts. Like if anywhere across the country, they it's it's NCIS New Orleans, it's Duck Dynasty, Joe Dirt, Duck Dynasty, Swamp True People. Blood. True Blood. Yeah, well, y'all, let me tell you True Blood yeah. and Steel Magnolias. I watch both of those. What's one of my most quotable favorite movies that I almost picked to quote for this show? Steel Magnolias. Shelby. North Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both of those north. But that's We're what. Afraid of them. <laughs> when people see that on TV, that's what they think we are until you meet somebody and they go, you don't, uh, for me, 
You don't have an accent. You don't well, have you an don't. accent like I heard that. Well, that, but that's but they hear all this stuff in shows. And you know movies. who does? My mouth. Lord. Who my lord? Roots and bold. My <laughs> roots accent depends on what she's drinking. And the whiskey bringing. Is she drinking urethane tonight? Ooh. I'm drinking a little Jim Beam tonight. <laughs> Just a little bit though. All right, so. If we're going to talk about Cajuns, we have to define who they are. And sometimes for people who don't know, it's easier to define who they're not. But who the Cajuns really are, we can talk about in a couple of different ways. We can talk about them ethnically, geographically, culturally, and culinarily. Mm. Tasty. Tasty. So if we're talking about who the Cajuns are ethnically, we're talking about people from the west of France who were sent to Acadia, which comes from a couple of different words. One is the Mi'kmaq word, Acadia, which means land of plenty. And the other one could be argued as Acadia uh, in Latin, meaning idyllic place. They were there for about 150 years before the British kicked them out sent them as prisoners of war all over the world and eventually recongregated in the south of the south at the bottom of the foot in Louisiana. I did not realize they lived there for 150 years. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then like their mother country from 150 years ago was like, oh yeah, get the fuck out of here too? No. So it was No, they were French kicked out by the British. They are the people who kind of live, like I said, south of the south, which I think is a beautiful way to describe that. A lot of what I'm getting is from a couple of different resources. One is another podcast called The Dollop, which I didn't necessarily listen to for resource, just for just for continuity. They did an amazing episode on the Acadian dis- dispersion. Little, little, little funsies? Little funsies. What is dispersion? Explain this. A dispersion is when a group of people are forcefully exiled from their homes. Oh, so like the uh, Trail of Tears. Like the Trail of Tears. It's called a diaspora. Is when your people are forcefully expelled and scattered. So there's an African diaspora, there's a trail of tears, and then there's the Acadian expulsion. And that's all when people are forcefully expelled from their homes, scattered about purposefully. Damn. Yeah. Enjoy it now, people. You don't know what it's like. What if some guy came and kicked you out of your home? He's like, hey man, that piano's mine. Get the F out. Yeah. If we don't get no toes, we don't don't get get no no rolls. (laughs) Thinking about the Cajuns in Louisiana, it's really easy for people outside of the state or even people in the state. Like I was just talking to you guys, like who are the Cajuns? Where are they from? And it's kind of easy to go, uh, they're from all over. And that's the thing is that Cajuns are from Louisiana, but not everyone from Louisiana is necessarily Cajun or even Creole like you find in Creole New Orleans. And then if we go back, if we go forward rather to modern day Cajuns, modern day Cajuns are even harder to define because they may or may not speak Acadian French. They may or may not live that authentic Cajun kind of lifestyle where you live off the land and the bayous. And they may or may not even be aware of their Cajun heritage. Personally, I knew from childhood that I was a lot more Cajun than anything else, but I really didn't know what that meant outside of the way my one family lived. I knew nothing about the history and I knew nothing about what it meant compared to everywhere else because it's not something that's really talked about a whole lot. And there's a myriad of reasons why. Are we we not a proud people? 
Or well, not? I mean, you say we, are you Cajun? I would think so. The last name has got to be Frencher than French it can be. No, but you're not can is not Cajun French. It's Parisian French. Okay, well, keep going. Though. Baby, you fancy. Fuck, I knew it. <laughs> what? <laughs> so you're telling me that Biffington is not Cajun. I'm a... I'm going to be willing to guess it's not. Sorry. No, names like Thibodeau and Boudreaux, which are typical names for those stereotypical Cajun jokes, are, are names like that. Um, Arsenault. I got you. Oh. Langlois, Landry, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot. So a, a bumper sticker I grew up with that kind of illustrated this point. A lot of Cajun people consider themselves south of the south meaning like yes we're american like a, a bumper sticker i grew up with said american by birth cajun by the grace of god where if you consider it something like texas or miami texas and miami are technically in the the american south but they're very separate from american southern kind of culture i've seen the same bumper sticker in texas oh yeah american by birth texas texan texan by the grace of god well, everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> so I would say if we were going to consider what people know about Cajun, like talking about you guys who grew up in Louisiana, you're talking about people who lived off the land, people who fished and hunted a whole lot, just like at the drop of a hat, kind of like good old boys, good old girls. Outside of Louisiana, what a lot of people think of Cajuns is that really stereotypical kind of water boy, Bobby Boucher, or most recently, y'all, I love me some Coach Ogeron. That man is intelligent. He is making a lot of money off of LSU, but people want to fixate on that accent. If we started off Monday knowing we're going to win this game. Congratulations, Ed. Go Tigers. And a lot of what people assume about Cajun culture has to do with like, I've had people in real life in 2018, 19, 2020 ask me if I rode an alligator at any point in my childhood because I'm from Louisiana. My uncle says when he goes on these cruises to places, people say, did you have to uh, take a boat to your house? Yeah. That's what they think all the time about people who live down there. They, oh, you got to take a boat to your house. Yeah. And he's like, no, I, don't, I got a house with a driveway, man. Right, right. So people think that kind of general backwoods uneducated setting way of life and the way of life in Louisiana and it does come from a couple of different places going all the way back to the beginnings of Cajun culture or what was really the beginning of Acadia in Nova Scotia Canada and when we're talking about that we're talking about people who came from the west of France who were sent by France to colonize where the British already were heaven forbid. Most of American history kind of plays along the lines of the French who are Catholics mm -hmm. and the British who are Protestant. Protestants, right? Going, oh no, you're having more babies than me on the North American continent. Where the French tended to colonize in Canada was obviously butt up against the waterways of the Atlantic coast because that's where you're going to enter, right? And if you controlled the waterways of the Atlantic coast, you controlled a lot of the import and export coming in. Whole reason for colonizing on the other side of the ocean in the first place is that Europe has messed up what they had at home. 
In the 1600s, Europe has used up a lot of the good farmland and they don't know how to rotate crops. So the people are starving, even though there's farms, even though most people are farmers and they have to colonize, they have to expand. So they go across the ocean, they find this new land that's fertile, that's viable, and they start to send people over there rapid fire. Where my people, the Cajuns, ended up settling was a little place that ended up being called Nova Scotia. And it's on the right hand or the east side of a little place called the Bay of Fundy. Y'all remember that from American history? Yes. Nova Scotia means New Scotland. It does because a Scotsman named it. Where the people who ended up being Cajuns landed was that little peninsula. Of, oh, I hope it's a peninsula. Canada. It's, a, it's Canada's winky dinky penis. You could have just said winky dinky. No, who cares? <laughs> so about 60 families ended up landing on this winky dinky, <laughs> along with a lot of other French people who were settling Canada at the time. Think like the people who settled Quebec and Montreal. We all settled under this freaking fur trade charter that was run by the Hatters Union in France, which apparently pulled mad control over a lot of different politics. If the Hatters Union didn't like it, ain't nobody got anything done. Dang. Were they mad? I mean, they were all mad at the time. You know why? Because of that ink, right? Mercury. Thermometers? <laughs> so my people who ended up on Nova Scotia, Canada, uh, eventually ended up calling it Acadia after the Greek Arcadia, meaning paradise or heaven. We called it heaven, not because it was how it was when we arrived, but Cajun people had a way, or Acadian people had a way of figuring things out. These people settled separately from the rest of the French in Canada because you're divided by the Bay of Fundy, which happened to have really, really high tides. The thing about high tides is that it washes in a lot of stuff. And when the tide rolls out, it leaves all that stuff and it leaves incredibly fertile ground. If you're a farmer, you look at that ground and you go, ooh, I can grow a lot of stuff there until the water comes back. My people end up living there from about 1604 on. And in the course of us living there, what we figure out is the tide eventually goes away. Most of the colonists that have come in have come in, looked at high tides when your boats come in the easiest and not see a lot of promise there. When the tide goes away, my 60 or so Cajun people from coastal or marshlands parts of France look at that land and go, ha ha ha, I can grow a lot of wheat there. So they end up developing a couple of things. They develop a levee system. They carve through logs and make them hollow build them at an angle into the levee system. And it does this magical thing. As the tide water comes in, the water rushes into farmland. But as the tide goes away, these logs set at a downward angle, drain the water out and a tin clapper valve at the end shuts. When the tide tries to come in, it pushes against that valve. So it hits the valve, it hits the levee, it can't come in to where that seawater had been rising and falling for thousands of years. So these French people ended up exposing all of this salt land, let it dry out, scrape the salt off of that, do what? Sell it, it's salt, and expose this incredibly rich 
nutritious soil that turns into farmland so valuable and so easy to work. They are quoted as saying all they need is an ox, a pickaxe, and a hoe to support their families for the rest of their lives. Dang. This was a really, really sweet spot. And we go from about 60 families in 1604 through to about 1,500 people by the time we hit 1750 or so. During that time, Acadians tend to build up this reputation of a little bit of lax, lazy, and apathetic. And it's because of a couple of different things. One, we figured out how to uncover some sweet, sweet farmland. You only have to work your farms a couple of hours a day. There's so much nutrient denseness in the soil. Your plants grow at optimum capacity. Letting it do the work for you. Letting it do the work for you. you let oh, the and animals... now we lazy for it? <laughs> well, you let your animals feed off that land and they're eating the best food too. So now your animals are as healthy as hell. If you look at some... And then letters, they got good poop. Make it go fertile. Which feed the land even more. Oof. If you look at letters home around that time, they'll say things like, this land is so fertile, we could feed the whole of France or England, depending on who's writing the letter home, just off of this Acadian land because it's so fertile, so valuable. And the thing about that fertile, valuable land is that it is only good because the Acadians figured out how to clear it out. But because the Acadians figured out how to clear it out and live this lifestyle of, let me work a few hours and then worry about whatever I want to worry about for the rest of the day, that didn't sit well with everyone. Where Nova Scotia is, is the entryway to Canada. It's, it is optimally viable for anyone who wanted to control colonization. So if the French are controlling that, not just controlling it, but controlling it vitally and vibrantly, that doesn't sit well for the British, who also want to have control of not just Northeast uh, America as we know it now, but Canada as well. So they're looking at these French across the Bay of Fundy, mastering the tides, farming just a couple hours a day, partying with their families that night, and heaven forbid, making friends with the Native Americans up there. They got a problem with that. Culture clash? Culture clash much? Now, the only reason the British had a say in this is because from the 1600s through about 1713, the land of Acadia was under control of both the French and the British constantly. It was a back and forth war between the two massive countries that happened to be across the ocean. Keep that in mind. All the power lay across the ocean. Meanwhile, on the other side of the Atlantic coast, my people, the Nova Scotians, the Acadians, eventually the Cajuns are sitting there going, but I've got enough farmland. My cows are doing so well, I can slaughter them, salt them, and send them back to France. And I happen to be the first French peasants to ever be outright landowners. Why would I bother making waves? My life is fantastic. So fantastic that any time Nova Scotia switched from British to French rule, those Acadians paid no mind. 
Why should they? No matter who's in charge. I'm all right. Yeah, I mean, how, how long does it take him to get there back then? Across the ocean? Yeah. A couple of months. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Oh, they're headed for us. Oh, well, I guess we'll just... Uh, Build a fort real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can get prepared in four months. Well, you can get prepared in four months if... But you're just farmers. Well, and that's the thing is that as there was a set structure, there was a set government, but it was never really the kind of government that needed to be overtly involved because so many people had so many just eases of life. The disputes that showed up weren't that big. You had moderators. You had people who dealt with disputes you didn't have a massive government or infrastructure or army necessarily yeah yeah crazy so that's literally where the cajun people came from and that is where we take our first break Well, here's the thing. So there's a, a folk tale in Cajun culture about how the lobster turned into a crawfish. When the British kicked the Cajuns out of Acadiana or Nova Scotia, Cajuns or Acadianans were so tied to the land that we were friends with every living creature up there, right? When the British kicked us out, one of our closest allies and friends and food sources was the lobster. When they kicked us out, the lobster went, oh no, my family's leaving, I gotta follow them. The British kicked us out by boat and sent us down the Atlantic coast, eventually to Louisiana. And the legend goes that the lobster chased the boat, following his good friend, the Acadians, all the way down the coast. But as the current got stronger and the water got warmer, that lobster had to chase the boat past New York, past Virginia, past Georgia, all the way through the tip of Florida, all the way to Louisiana. And the warmer the water got and the longer he had to swim, the more calories he had to burn. So he went from lobster size to many, many, many crawfish size because he burns so much energy trying to keep up with his friends, the Acadians who turned into the Cajuns. By the time we settled into Louisiana together, both the Acadians and the crawfish, they were little mini bitty baby things settled into the waterways, the bayous, and the brackishness of South Louisiana, dug into their little mud tunnels. And from that day on, 1760 on, the crawfish and the Acadians have lived in the swamps of Louisiana together as family that we eat. Every little spring. tiny things. Both cases. So, moral of the story is, if you want to lose weight, swim from Nova Scotia to Louisiana. <laughs> May I? Trim it down, people. It's 2020. So, 1713, the British finally gained permanent control of Nova Scotia. What that means for the Acadians there, as far as they are concerned, is nothing. They were never determined to bow to a single king or queen as long as they could remain Catholic and, quote, audaciously French. I love that quote. Keep that in mind the entire time. Quote, audaciously French. Audaciously French. From the beginning of any sort of British rule, 
the French who were in Nova Scotia didn't really give a care one way or the other. Do I get to keep my farmland? I'm the first peasants from France that own farmland. Awesome. Do I get to stay with my family that I love? Yes. Do I get to keep being Catholic? Yes. All right. That's all I care about. So 1713 is when the British take over. And what they expected of the Acadians is kind of an immediate assimilation. You need to bow to our queen. You need to convert to Protestantism. And you need to cut ties with the Mi'kmaq Native Americans that you have been trading with for a long time. That's where they drew the line. That's where they drew the line. The Acadian people, though, saw that line as more of a suggestion than it was law and mandate. Of course. I mean, it can't be serious. Like, that's my friend. Exactly. You they ain't tried his punch yet. You got a great punch. <laughs> they the still make great fruit punch. And happen to make for great landmates instead of bedmates. We'll say landmates because they did teach the Acadians how to master waterways. They taught them what was and was not a viable crop and things like that. So there was no reason for the Acadians to cut ties. Uh, over the course of the next 45, 50 years or so, things began to deteriorate because Britain retained control of Nova Scotia, naming it Nova Scotia, mostly naming it Nova Scotia because the Scotsmen came in and put forth a plan to eradicate the Acadians. The backhanded thing of that is that Nova Scotia or Acadiana, whatever you want to call it, the east side of the Bay of Fundy was not farmable until the Acadians showed up, drained the seabed dry, built up that levee and made good farmland of it. So the British looked at this land and said, ooh, this is the best farmland. They're on it. Let's get rid of them. Instead of thinking that's good farmland because they're on it. That's good farmers. Good farmers. They were actually, I take that back, they were a little bit aware of that because rather than decide to just let those Acadian Frenchmen disperse a bunch amongst the rest of the French colonies, they instead decided to disperse them away. In several letters home, different um, governors and colonels actually wrote that if the Acadians went into French Canada, that would be beneficial to France. Because if those French farmers went in, the Acadian farmers went into the other French colonies, they would learn how to farm better, they would thrive more, and they would in the end be better and more prolific than the British. So they put forth a plan to completely eradicate the Acadians from Nova Scotia. Plan went like so. Tear them out of their houses in the middle of the night. Burn their crops, burn their barns, slaughter their cows to send back to England, burn their houses. Then disperse the family members piecemeal onto different boats so that they would end up in different places by the time those boats landed. They moved systematically through the 15,000 or so Acadians that were in Nova Scotia around 1750 to 1755 and eradicated about two-thirds of the population up there. Those remaining were put on boats and dispersed either back to Europe, maybe Britain, maybe France, but mostly down the east coast of the United States where they were maybe tried to 
be peddled off on the Massachusetts colony, the Virginia colony and whatnot. And this is where the reputation that the Acadians didn't even know they had ascertained really came back and bit them in the butt. The entire time the British were in control from 1713 to the 1750s when the, the Acadians were eradicated, there was a lot of yellow journalism perpetuated throughout all of the British colonies. The British were having a really rough time with their Native American cohabitants. Some of them turned really violent, and the newspapers in the British colonies were often ordered by their governors to just not report on the violence. If you reported on violence, colonists from England weren't gonna join your colony. So your colony wasn't gonna grow, your colony wasn't gonna be fruitful, and your colony was gonna lose out on funding from England. So rather than allow them to report on the violence that happened between British colonies and their Native American cohabitants, they would often report on the savages and the violence that happened in French Canada instead, talking about how the Native Americans in Canada were savages and how those Catholics were contributing to the violence against the Protestants in Canada. How like the savages of French Canada were providing the knives that would slit the throats of our Protestant wives and children and things on like the that. Bitches, you know? I mean. Fake news and the fake news is. It's always been around, hasn't it? Terrible. Fake news has always been around. Really of course. Uh, but what I want to know is, like, all this time, everybody's being like, those Canadians and those damn savages up north, and then they're coming down in the boats, so they're, like, looking mm -hmm. at them like, oh, that's those people. Don't let them off here because they're just as savage as the savages. That's Can't sit saying. here. Correct. Yeah. Seats yeah. are already taken. Yeah. Correct. And that attitude of can't sit here, seats already taken, is shown all throughout every colony that is predominantly Protestant. There are some colonies where the French Canadians arrived by boat in the winter, and because the colony didn't have enough food, they forced those French colonists to live on boats at the ocean in the winter with meager supplies. So they had to live on both then, okay. Some of them did. Some of them were forced into things that um, we won't call concentration camps. We'll just call parts of town where Thinking you are. really hard camps. We'll call them labor camps. They were parts of town where only the French Canadians lived, that the French Canadians were not allowed to leave also not allowed to own property or guns or in some cases they were not allowed to work because they weren't seen as trusted the newspapers of those colonies have been reporting on these nova scotians or acadians as savages so people didn't trust them as laborers they didn't trust them as apprentices so they were dumped off on these british colonies with no funding forced to live in one spot, whether that was well accommodated or not, most likely not provided opportunities to work and simultaneously seen as a burden on the colony because they expect us to feed them and clothe them and build houses for them. And it was this complete 
dynamic of you won't allow us to work. You won't allow us to leave. You won't allow us to stay. But you complain about us being a burden on the community. They were also accused and suspected of contaminating the slaves. I will not use the words used in letters back to Europe. But the Acadian French were often accused of degrading or collaborating with the Africans that were brought with those British settlers. They were afraid that these prisoners of war basically would collaborate with the slaves who were also brought in forcefully and uprise against the colonies. And it was a serious concern for the British colonies that these new French members were going to cause an uprising among the slaves. We, the French are known for uprising, cutting people's heads off and shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. I would too. They're being oppressed. These other people being oppressed. Might as well. We got something in common. Let's, let's, let's band together and take them down. When did they finally break out? Well, part of the reputation that followed Acadians comes from that era where either it was yellow journalism spreading this rumor of savagery. A lot of newspapers accused Catholic priests of collaborating with the Native American tribes to commit these atrocities that weren't even really true. So these people in these colonies were stuck basically as prisoners of war and were incredibly discontented, which only fed into that public mindset that Acadians are rowdy, they're violent, they're angry, they're just complainers, and they're lazy, most importantly. In Nova Scotia, they developed this reputation of laziness because the land was so easy to farm. As pseudo-prisoners of war in the colonies, they weren't allowed to work so they were considered lazy as well, and they were considered violent and angry because they were incredibly oppressed. A lot of Acadians would petition government saying it would have been better for my whole family to die in Nova Scotia to, than to watch them literally starve and suffer in these British colonies where sometimes people were given houses without a roof in the winter in the Northeast of the United States. And to that, the governors would say things like when it rained, the house would flood and the governor or the person in charge of them would just say, looks like you need a boat. Navigate through your house then. So the perception built up in journalism was only solidified by that Acadian disgruntedness the first bobby boucher is what you're telling me no baby the journalist the journalist the journalism yes. was the first hint of that yeah water boy bobby boucher kind of tint to acadian culture yeah m m mama said mama said <laughs> <gasps> right, so as the acadians are scattered all over the east and west of the Atlantic coast. They are struggling to find themselves again. You'll actually see ads in different newspapers all through the east coast of family members looking for each other and things like that. Eventually, around 1760 or so, you start to see the first trickles of Acadians coming in to Louisiana where the Acadians turn into Cajuns, turn into settlements. And it's because the Spanish who were in charge of Louisiana at the time happened to be Catholic. And with Cage, uh, Spanish, 
And with yeah, and with any Spanish or French colony at the time, your funding was tied to how many Catholic butts sat in your pews on any given Sunday. So when the Spanish started to see this trickle of Acadian French Catholic families coming into Louisiana, they gravitated toward that. You can sit here if you want. Yes. Yes, Yay. you can sit here if you want. Except at this time in Louisiana, there isn't Louisiana proper. There is the colony of New Orleans. The colony of New Orleans is a mile point three long and less than a mile wide at this, or somewhere around a mile wide at this point. It ain't big. It isn't big. It's only the natural high ground that extends from the river. There were very few European colonies that extended out of that. One was the Germans along the German coast that you guys talked about above New Orleans and Lake Pontchartrain and whatnot. But outside of that, there was not a lot of European settlement. So as these really country-viewed Acadians came in, they weren't necessarily welcomed into New Orleans that was trying to present itself as metropolitan and forward-thinking. Instead, they were offered land grants out into the bayous of Louisiana, where they started to settle from about 1760 on. And because where they settled in Louisiana, 1760 on, was considered more bayou or waterway than land, they've been very isolated there from about 1760 to recent modern history. And that is where we're gonna hit our second commercial break. Whoop whoop. What I was gonna say was when you were talking about the sellers coming up, you know who was walking around when New Orleans was small? Hmm. Louis Congo. Oh, oh. Podcast, episode four. That's true, that's the executioner. True. He was around. That was a good one. Or was he? No, Find right. out for yourself. <laughs> Go listen, episode four. It'll be remastered soon. <laughs> yeah. I like that word remastered. Yeah. Knock and I definitely don't know that all that happened between minute 10 and 11 of the halftime show. We have no idea that all that rubbing and dancing There was a poles, lot of rubbing and gyrating did, yeah. and the cameras were thrusting. It only took us a couple of minutes to watch it. Yeah, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say though, is that if, if she did know the camera was going to be right there at the shot. Of course she knew. She knew. But she do knew. they, when they rehearse, you know, they know? You okay. do not make know. it to 50 years old looking like that without being in control of every minute of your life. Acadian boats start landing in Louisiana somewhere around 1760. They are emphatically welcomed by the Spanish who are in charge at the time. Spanish Catholics, these are still the Spanish Inquisition people made famous by things like the Monty Python, where they're, you know, dancing around in castles, talking about the Inquisition and such like that. Uh, these Spanish Catholics welcome these French Catholics 
into Louisiana that they don't fit into the French Quarter necessarily. They let them settle into the bayous of Louisiana. From there, those Acadians are welcomed by several other people. They're welcomed by the Native Americans there. They're also welcomed by the German farmers that had been instilled by the Spanish. Those German farmers play a critical role in not only Acadian culture, but also Acadian foodways. If you've ever had a Cajun gumbo, you have had a gumbo with andouille sausage. I might make some people mad here, and I don't care. Here's the thing. Cajun gumbo, yes, it's dark. Yes, it's thick. Yes, it normally contains andouille sausage. I don't. I know it doesn't have to, but that andouille sausage that we talk about is German in heritage. It is more closely linked to a German kielbasa than it is a French andouille. A French andouille is made with chitterlings. It's seasoned with clove. It's steamed. It smells. It's not as good, so tell me. It's not good. Okay, well, yeah. Underline bold face emphasis is not that good. We like the name of your meat, but we don't like your meat. Right. Well, isn't that, <laughs> that's so French. Of course. To colonize anything, including a food and say, no, 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 no. You have to follow our name. Huh? <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. My Acadian people have been in the bayous since about 1760 on. In Louisiana, when you're looking at the state and you look at that south of the south, under Interstate I-10, the bottom half of the foot of the boot that is Louisiana, you are talking about a lot of land that is also sometimes more water than land. So as the Acadian people settled, they settled in pockets that were really isolated, really cut off from the rest of the American South or even New Orleans or even Louisiana as it developed. So as Acadian culture settled, it didn't change that much from the mid 1700s through to a couple of points. And it's really dumbfounding sometimes to realize this, but these people who lived in the United States starting 1803 is when Louisiana joined the United States. These people didn't speak English until well into the 1920s or so, partly because they were so isolated, partly because they'd been kicked around enough. They left France in the first place from the west of France because they were kind of told by the crown, you need to go here. They were also okay with leaving because they didn't like where the crown was headed. They were kicked out of Nova Scotia that was their idyllic, perfect, heavenly land by the British who said, yeah, you serve God, but it's not the way we serve God, so you also need to go. They'd been kicked into the British colonies where they weren't welcome and told, yeah, we were told you were supposed to be here, but we don't really care. So y'all go live in this deserted area with no food and no resources for a while. Eventually, we'll let you leave. Finally, they end up in the bayous of Louisiana where literally no one wanted to stay long term. The Native Americans who were in the bayous of Louisiana at the time were forced there. All of the Native Americans in the Gulf South for thousands of years lived seasonally, meaning 
you lived where the high ground was when it was high ground and you moved when it wasn't high ground anymore. That's the nature of the waterways down here before the French dammed up the river. When the Acadians moved in, it was at a point in history where the French had dammed up the river so it would stay where the French thought it was supposed to go and where the Native Americans were kind of forced to go whether they liked it or not. At that point, it was kind of a, are we gonna live together? Are we gonna die apart? So the Native Americans, the Acadians and the Bayous, and the Germans that had been coerced into being farmers on this side of the Atlantic coast decided through a number of years to live together, eventually marrying in, eventually conglomerating as a culture. And to this day, even in 2020, what you find in South of the South, Louisiana, is a combination of cultures that are predominantly French, German and Native American in culture mixed in with everyone else who came through the port of New Orleans. The Irish and Sicilians who came in in the 1850s, the Polish and Ukrainian who came in a little bit after and around that same time, all the way through the Vietnamese who came in in the 1970s during the Vietnamese conflict, where they were brought in and welcomed by another culture it was French colonized, Catholic, and would let you live in the bayous kind of on your own so you could continue to live your same cultural way you were allowed to live either in Nova Scotia or in Vietnam. That is kind of the head or the conglomeration of what is known as Cajun culture today. Live and let live. Live and let live is Lay mostly what it's about. You can say laissez-faire, you can say laissez-le-bon-temps-rouler, which all approximately lean means just let it be, let the good times roll, just kind of let happens what happens because ultimately you're dealing with a culture of people, whether they are Native American, Acadian, French, German, or Vietnamese, who were forced from their homes, forced into the bayous where you're not supposed to permanently settle and has taken on the attitude of, if I'm gonna live here, I'm really, really gonna live here. Do you think they've also maybe even learned their lesson of getting kicked out of Nova Scotia, saying like, no one's ever gonna kick me out where I'm at anymore? Or do you think that maybe even us as a culture, we're already imagining ourselves moving away from the coast are we not but i think i think they were like now that we're moved here and now that we're here if anybody else comes in we've already dealt with that yeah kicking welcome. them out screw that let's welcome them well i think that because everyone who's ended up in the bayous has been kicked out into the one place no one can reasonably live year-round we're there no one is going to come into the bayous to say, hey, move, this is better land. If you think about us in Nova Scotia, Very we true. reclaimed that sea land and made fertile ground so fertile that France could have sustained itself on just the imports coming in. Where we are in Louisiana now doesn't have that same 
solid ground land. So no one's coming in to reclaim that. No, I'm saying that Mother Nature coming in to reclaim. Oh, Mother Nature is going to be here, baby, 50 years, 100 years. Yeah, right. but when people come up on boats early in the morning and it's foggy and they can't see and they're like, should we try to come in this land or should I think we should probably leave this alone. Let's go. Let's get back. Let's go back in that. big. But, you know, you talk to Acadians, you talk to Cajuns. The Cajuns who move away from home, Justin Wilson, who we talked about last episode, said, I won't stay away from Louisiana longer than 10 days. It is a well-documented fact that Cajuns that leave home ache for it. Because once the Acadians settled here, no one bothered them. And after being harassed for over a hundred years are you loyal to france are you loyal to england and then being forced from that home and being forced to settle where you didn't want to be in the first place and finally being allowed refuge down here it's not about this is the place i choose it's about this is the place that's home there's a saying that attaches itself to new orleans but i find it's true to all of south louisiana is that if you can make it in new york you can make it anywhere if you can make it in New Orleans, you can't make it anywhere else. Nice. I find that's true of South Louisiana in general. Very true. Well, Lynn, thanks. That was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. So oh, man. I'm going to end this with the accent. The accent is not what is seen on television, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it, I guess, another time. No, just keep on talking about it. The accent out of South Louisiana is not only regionally specific, but it's also affected by German and Native American. So it's a little choppy from the Native American. It's a little guttural and back of the throat from the, from the German population. And it's things, it's things, not things. It's a little thing that is it's hard to... Enunciate? May we? Actually, my people don't say may we, we say, we say may ya. Because... So they say well, that's the thing is that by the time you reach Louisiana and you get to modern culture after 1755, your culture has to change as much as you want it to have been isolated in the bayous. Things have to change. True. Yeah. Well, I mean, keep telling me, keep going. We're not done. Hey. We got like three But minutes. you ended it. No, I didn't. I didn't. There's, there's like 150 years between where you ended and where we need to be. And I know he got to go to bed and he got to pack and shit. We can do stuff in between. Keep yeah. people guessing. Well, what would you like to add? Okay, you got 150 years. I got 150 years to talk about how people how the Acadians helped through the Civil War and World War One and Two, how they were valued assets in World War One and Two, but when they came home, they were discriminated against because as much as you spoke French overseas, now you need to fucking learn English. And how the Vietnamese movement even further tampened down the French influence, though it should have influenced the French influence. How once the Vietnamese got in, everyone said, y'all need to be fucking American. Sounds like a great tease to me. Love to be teased. Little Vietnamese tease. Ooh. <laughs> Thank you. Vietnamese tease. podcast. Between your knees. We'll see you next time. Ooh. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. See y'all then, babies.
Between your knees.